Well, Varkey's Gums is not going to be an Oregon Duck. But another tight end, Seydoux Traore, he, he could be. And that sends a couple of clear messages. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Appreciate all of you out there who have done so already. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started no i'm not in my usual setup visiting the parents up in the pnw this weekend state of washington right now will make my way down to the state of oregon i'll be in bend a little bit later this week but varkey's gums is not going to make his way to eugene what a <laughs> just a, like just like a weird recruitment by the way just real quick shout out to wyndham clark former university of oregon golfer won the wells fargo championship over the weekend one over some big-time names. Jan- Xander Shoffley was in the mix. Rory McIlroy was in the field. Go down the list. A lot of big names, and he emerged victorious. Always love seeing a different sort of hashtag product thriving at a high level. But Varkey's Gums is not coming to Oregon. And Sadu Traore, the Colorado-slash-Arkansas State transfer, he was at Arkansas State, then he transferred to Colorado. He had a productive season there. And now he's in the portal again. Oregon has offered him. I think that sends two pretty clear messages, which I'll start there and then get into this wild recruitment of, of Varkey's gum. Like, kind of. Um, first of all, my, my my takeaway when I was prepping for the show, it was right before the Varkey's gums announcement that he was going back to Arkansas. And offering Traore made it very clear to me that, okay, number one, Gums is not going to come to Oregon. So that ended up coming to pass. The second thing I had, though, is that I think in the eyes of the coaching staff, yeah, maybe they'd like to have five scholarship tight ends. Someone did make the point that last year they went into the season with five scholarship tight ends, and then RIP tragically lost Spencer Webb to the the accident last summer, and then they were down to four. So maybe they would like to have five, and that's the number that they would prefer to be at. But they operated with four last year. They did so successfully. Nobody ended up getting injured because you had a pretty balanced snap count. You had good production. You ran the ball well. Everything went, I would say, pretty well on that front. So at the very least, if Traora doesn't end up choosing Oregon, I think that's okay because I see four scholarship tight ends in the room and I'm okay with that. But the other takeaway here by them offering Traore might be that they don't feel that Kenyon Sadiq is ready. And Kenyon Sadiq does look a tad small out there for a tight end. And they might think his blocking upside is a bit limited. So that may be what the coaching staff are, are collectively seeing there and why they look at, you know, another transfer portal option via or at, at the tight end position and say, okay, this is somebody that we'd be interested in. This is somebody that we want to bring in. And that's why they've made the offer. And obviously you're not going to make that offer if you're not willing to commit to it. So I think that's kind of what it says is they would like to be at five and that Sadiq in their view may not quite be ready. He had a drop in the first game. He looks fast. He looks explosive and athletic. 
little small for a tight end, no doubt. So maybe they just want him to redshirt this year, maybe playing a handful of games, but use it to kind of, you know, get acclimated to college level, bulk up, get on a meet an eating plan, get in the weight room and all that sort of stuff. But so Varkey's gums, I would have been super down for him. And the timing is unfortunate at some level because I think Casey Kelly is just like a solid depth piece, but gums is the sort of guy that I think would have come in and maybe been Oregon's number two tight end. Like he's got that sort of upside, right? And I I think Patrick Herbert is solid, but I don't think Patrick Herbert at this point is anything special. Maybe he takes a step forward, right? I mean, he had some nice moments last year. He was part of the 14 J package successfully. He had a long touchdown against Cal. He had some other decent moments, like solid player. Maybe he's due to pop. But I think if the staff could do this over again, they would have waited to add Casey Kelly and and taken Varkey's gums instead of Kelly because I think gums has got more upside there. But Kelly, again, solid depth piece, right? I think he's a lot like Patrick Herbert at, at, at this point in time, and he's got the quarterback background, which is interesting to say the least. But so gums goes into the portal coming out of North Texas where he had a wildly successful season. He draws all sorts of power five offers. Arkansas and Oregon are among them. It's kind of down to those two. I think there was somebody else in the mix, but Oregon wanted him. He goes to Arkansas. And then when he goes, when he commits to Arkansas, Oregon says, okay, well, we're we're still looking for a tight end. So we're going to go get Casey Kelly from Ole Miss out of the portal over there. And then after that happens, Varkese Gums announces he's decommitting from Arkansas. So he's still in the transfer portal, but never officially signed with Arkansas. So he was still able to go into the portal after the portal window had closed because the portal window pertains to when players are able to enter, not when they are allowed to exit the portal. So he never officially exited, but said he decommitted from Arkansas. Then he recommitted to Arkansas. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. I, I, I I don't know what exactly is happening i i don't know if there's shady stuff going down i don't know if he's flip-flopping i don't know if it was a logistical issue a paperwork problem i've got absolutely positively no idea but that's the way it is i think we can close the door on this now i think (laughs) i mean mean, do we ever really know like do we ever really know nowadays We, we we might not we, we, we may just like never know where guys are actually going to be. But at this point in time, Oregon's got four scholarship tight ends. I think that is enough. If they go after a fifth, I think Treori is interesting, brings some real upside, and ha- has been a productive player, right? Started Arkansas State, but went to Colorado. Had, I think, about a 600-yard uh, receiving season there. Like he, he, he is a guy who can come in and help your tight end room and give Kenyon Sadiq like a full-on basically redshirt year like that that's one of the things that he'd be bringing but uh we, we can evaluate that at a later time if he does end up committing to the ducks so this would just be, this would be yet another instance of of roster turnover under dan lanning and since lanning arrived right he arrived officially after the national championship game in uh in in 2022 early portion of that year but was announced december 2021 there have been a lot of changes on the roster and that's kind of what we should expect right going forward is the portal is always there 
Oregon recruits at a high level. They're not going to have some dud class ever. I mean, 2024 is looking great. They picked up another four-star defensive back commit in the 2024 cycle. All of their recruits in 2024, except for one, maybe two, let me double check on that, are uh, are, are four-star kits. Like, it, it is a really, really impressive-looking impressive looking, uh, class right now. Sorry, I'm trying to talk and type at the same time. Um, and, and it's not, it's not going very well for me as, as you can, as you can most definitely hear, but, uh, yeah, Ify Obadegwu is, uh, is, is their latest commit and everybody is, is a four star except for three guys, right? Moga Jackson for the tight end and Trent Ferguson. So like they're, they're doing well and, and Max and I'll talk about them later this week, but Traore would be another newcomer. It'd be more roster turnover. And there are just six guys remaining from each of the last two recruiting classes under Mario Cristobal, which were, by the way, one of one of them was the highest rated in school history. And the other one, I'm pretty darn sure is top five. Like it's amazing how much turnover is has gone. This roster has undergone in the last couple of years. Now there's a reason that that has happened. And that reason is if he told me prior to Cristobal's departure that landing was going to come in, I would have gone to FanDuel and bet that there was going to be a lot of change happening. And all that sort of stuff are things you can. Now, you can't bet the number of recruits who will still be there from a recruiting cycle, uh, you know, two years from now on a given roster on FanDuel. But they've got everything else that you could possibly need or want to bet. And if you're looking to bet something that specifically, you, you 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 might have a little bit of a problem there, but you can make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs right now. New customers can get a no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action. The app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. They can get you everything you want within reason, of course, to bet on over there. Go check out FanDuel today. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. So the reason I would have bet on landing undergoing a, a number of changes, is, and this all stems from a question from Randall, by the way, and you can always be a part of the mailbag. You've all been sending in your questions. They're loaded up right now, but guess what? We got a long time between now and September 2nd. Send me all the mailbag questions you want. Every question, every thought, thought, comment, concern, statement of outrage, as my uh, AP Gov high school teacher, Mr. Kepping, used to say. Uh, YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Randall asks, question, why are there only six members of each of Mario's last two classes on the roster? Is it as simple as Dan prioritizing speed or is he just flat out a better recruiter offensive line aside? So I don't remember if it was six members in like each class, 12 total or six total, but, but more, more, like numbers, semantics, we all get the idea, right? Those were highly rated recruiting classes. Why have so many players ended up leaving? Why is it so much different when you had a bunch of guys who are really, really good? And it's not everybody, right? Troy Franklin, for instance, a great example. Trent Ferguson, a great example. These were all, you know, those guys were Mario Cristobal recruits. There are others that are still on the roster. Guys that committed to play for the previous staff, Jeffrey Bassa, another guy who are still there. 
because they like the University of Oregon and they like the vision that Dan Lanning came in and sold when he and his staff took over in uh, you know late 2021, early 2022. So I don't think it's entirely the speed factor, though I think that's a component, right? SEC defenses are are unique, right? It kind of, when you speak in that vague generality, because they are both big and fast. And in the Pac-12, it feels like you're either big or you're fast, right? So like UCLA, they're fast with Chip Kelly. Oregon the last several years felt like we've been big, but not particularly fast. And team speed has been lacking. Lanning talked about that. I think they've upgraded in that department in a big way. The old Oregon Chip Kelly teams, really fast. Washington State with Jake Dicker, they're fast. Oregon State, Utah, meanwhile, they kind of focus on being big, right? They're big, physical, downhill running teams. So everybody's kind of got their own identity in that sense. And Mario's teams were very much founded upon physicality. And that's what made 2021 so concerning with those Utah games is Oregon got pushed around. It's like, wait, they're supposed to be the more physical team. And they were not. They were out physical twice in a three-week span against the same team. So I, I think that what has happened is a couple of things. First of all, kids more often than not, like Troy Franklin, Trent Ferguson, those guys, they're the exception, not the rule. Kids tend to commit to play for coaches, be it position coaches or head coaches, right? But most often it's the position position coach that matters. You see that with a number of examples across the board, right? Dante Moore decommits from Oregon when Kenny Dillingham goes elsewhere. Tony Tuioti, by the way, who did he bring with him from Nebraska? Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers, guys who had committed to play for him. He left to go elsewhere. They want to play for that guy. You look at offensive linemen that, you know, decommitted from the Ducks when Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal left, which they were, of course, very good at recruiting and developing, right? Kelvin Banks went to Texas. Really good player, by the way. Kingsley ended up going elsewhere before they ended, before Mario and company left. But you see the point is like kids are committing to play for a school. Yes. And for some kids, it is the dream school, right? Like Jurion Dickey. Jurion Dickey has been offered and recruited since the Mario Cristobal staff. But Dan Lanning and Junior Adams and now Will Stein have all kept that up and they've got him signed and he's coming in the fall because he's always wanted to go to Oregon. But that is more of a rarity, especially nowadays. It's about relationships. And it's why Dan Lanning is able to get a Jordan Birch because he had a relationship with him going back to his time at Georgia, right? Coaching relationships matter tremendously when you're talking about recruiting these kids. So when a coaching staff leaves, it's not just the head coach leaving, right? Like you could play under a head coach and have very little actual interaction with the head coach. You see way more of your position coach than you do of, of the head football coach, depending on which position you play. If you're a quarterback, that's not true, right? Or if uh, you're a defensive end, Dan Landing's going to see quite a bit of you or a linebackers coach. That's his background, right? So an example would be like Demetrius Martin is kicking butt on the recruiting front. If he were to get poached away, there's no reports. Don't worry. Don't freak out anything like that. But let's say one day Demetrius Martin were to end up leaving Oregon's secondary room would take a major hit from a personnel standpoint because a bunch of guys who committed to play for him would probably follow him to his next stop, especially in the portal era. So I think that's part of why you've seen a lot of turnover. But I do think that you hit on something here, Randall, that's very true. And I think that we've all seen in landing, as I mentioned, as talked about before. The previous Oregon teams, they did not have a lot of speed. They just didn't. The guys they brought in 
were big and they were physical and they were about stopping the run. But it was a lot of guys like Bennett Williams, who were was a good football player, but was not a fast football player. And so as a result, he had limited upside. But Bennett Williams, with both your eye test and according to PFF, graded very well in the box and against the run. But once you stretched him vertically and you put him in coverage, he really struggled, right? But those are the players that Mario was looking for. And by the way, I don't think that's a a completely horrible thing. I look at Michigan. I don't think Michigan's the big, like that's what Mario Cristobal wants to build a football program into. He wants it to look like Michigan, who have been to -to back-to-back college football playoffs, by the way. It can be done. You have to do it, you know, the way that Harbaugh does, of course, but it's not as if you can't build a team in that particular vision. So I do think Lanning is is trying to make the team faster. I think that's a good thing, especially given the quarterback play you've got in the Pac-12, much stronger than what they have in the Big Ten, where it's like Ohio State's guy, and do they have anybody else worthwhile in the Big Ten? Uh, I don't even think J.J. McCarthy's that good at Michigan. Uh, per don't, no. Like, it was Aiden O'Connell, and he's not that good. Wisconsin never has a quarterback. Illinois is not any good. Minnesota, Tanner Morgan, he's been all right. Like, but anyway, it's not as deep as the Pac-12. So you got to have some team speed because you've got great receivers and you've got great quarterbacks. You've got to be able to keep up with these guys in space because they're explosive athletes and they're really, really fast. So I think that's part of it. And then the last thing you mentioned here is Dan Lanning, just a flat-out better recruiter. Um, honest answer here, given what 2024 is shaping up and – and looking like right now, and you said, you know, O-line aside, Dan Lanning and his staff were able to land Josh Connerly, number one offensive tackle in his class. They're in a good spot for Brandon Baker, 2024, number one tackle in his class. I'm just saying, it looks pretty good. I think there is a very real chance, and this may be, we may need to explore this in depth uh, as, as, as shows go on and such, and I'm curious as to what you guys think. I think Lanning can be every bit the recruiter, that Mario Cristobal was. I don't know that he is yet, but this 2024 class is looking ridiculously good. It's still very, very early. There are so many big names on the board, and Landing is just knocking this stuff out of the park at this point in time. I think the upside is very real, and I think he's you know relatively new to the recruiting space compared to what Cristobal was. Right, Cristobal's a good deal older than Dan Landing, like. Mark Cristobal is, let me look this up real quick. Uh, Not agent. Come on, Google. He's 52. Okay. Lanning is 36, 37. Like he's, he's, he's more than 10 years older than him. So he's a good, good deal more seasoned in, in that sense. So I think Lanning's upside as a recruiter is, is, is immense. And they, they are shooting for the moon. You know, we talked about the visitor game spring list they had. They're shooting for the moon with this 2024 cycle. They picked up what ended up being really two five stars with Mateo and Jurion Dickey. But remember, they they were going after Peyton Bowen. Probably should have had him. There was a logistical, you know, screw up and whatnot. If Kenny Dillingham doesn't leave, they have Dante Moore. That'd be another five star. I think Landing wants to build those sorts of classes where you've got four and five five star kids and a bunch of other blue chippers. As you go down the list. All right. We've got some hoops talk here. So Oregon did not land Bronny James. Bronny James ends up going to USC. Closer to dad. Closer to family. In Los Angeles. 
big, I like branding opportunities there, abundant. I am a little surprised that Oregon didn't end up landing him, but not shocked. The reason I'm not shocked is because Bronny James, like Arch Manning, is a very talented recruit whose stock is high for a reason because he is a good player. I do get the sense, though, and I'm not the only one who feels this way, that he benefits from his last name, and that raises his overall rating as a recruit. And he recently became a five-star guard in 24-7. Somebody else that Oregon's going after did that. You may know who that is. Not going after, are getting, I should say. Jackson Chelstad. But he is a guy that I think is good. I think he looks like a good shooter, good scorer. He's a combo guard. He's like, he seems like a solid player. I don't know that he's top five in the NBA draft next year. We'll see what he does in college, right? We'll see what he does. But I did think Oregon was in a really good place for him, given the Nike connection. Like I was, a, I was a little surprised that he chose to go to USC, but not completely and totally shocked. But the other thing too, Oregon's got a lot of guards. Oregon's got a lot of guards. Keyshawn Bartholomew. You've got Jermaine Kuznard. You bring in Jadrian Tracy, who's a guard slash wing that you're bringing in from the junior college level. Brandon Rigsby is still on the roster. And you just like keep going through and you say, well, yeah, it might have been kind of hard to find playing time. And then you realize Mookie Cook is coming in. And oh, yeah, by the way, that guy, Jackson Shellstad, who we've all been so excited about for a while. It's funny. Shellstad is now great as a five-star recruit. Last guy to do that for Oregon, Jerry on Dickey in football. Four-star for a long time, gets bumped up. And they both look really, really good. So Shellstad has been going to all these camps, playing in these tournaments, Nike hoops on it, like or whatever everything is called and such. And he's just tearing it up. And now the scouting community sees him and goes, "Yeah, that kid looks really, really good." So it doesn't change who he is. Like if he had kept the same star rating and you know had been a high four star recruit, he would have ended up being the same player at Oregon. Like it doesn't change anything on that front. However, it is a confirmation of what we have all been thinking for a while. And look, we all naturally make the Peyton Pritchard comparisons. But now he's moving into the territory where other people, not just us Duck fans, are saying, yeah, this kid, this kid is legit. This kid looks like the real deal. And if he ends up being that, he could be exactly what Oregon needs. And I, I will I will not at all be surprised if he ends up starting as a true freshman. I could see it because I really like Jermaine Kuznar. Oh, and then, of course, they added the, the Georgia transfer, um, uh, uh, Kinto, and then they added Cambridge from Arizona State. Those guys are like guard slash wings, right? Kinto is 6'4 or so. So probably more playing on the wing. Cambridge is six foot six. He's also playing on the wing. But I think there's a real opportunity for Jackson Shellstad to play in his first year because he is going to be a true freshman, yes. But there is no pure, true point guard on the team. Jermaine Kuznard and Keyshawn Bartholomew are guys that can run the point, but they don't really play the point. They are not facilitators. They are not kill you in the pick and roll game. You know, they, they are good players for sure. I like Bartholomew shooting. I love Bartholomew off the bench. 
He gives you a spark. I think you need someone on your bench who can come in and on any given night go off for 15 to 20 points. Bartholomew can do that. But if Kuznard is your starter, look, maybe they start him a point guard. But I am really curious how this roster ends up playing out for Dana Altman because Shellstad seems to be really good. He seems to be the real deal, and he's a big-time playmaker. And I think he's got much more passing potential than Jermaine Kuznard. I just don't think that's the type of player Kuznard is, which is fine. I love Kuznard, by the way. I thought he had some great moments a year ago. If he ups his three-point percentage a little bit, he could be an all-pac-12 honorable mention caliber player. Like That is what I think his ceiling is. But there isn't a lot of size in the front court on this team outside of Infaliante, Nate Biddle, and incoming five-star true freshman K.J. Evans. And if this is just going to be a guard-heavy rotation, maybe you do play. I mean, Dane Allman's played three-guard lineups before. Maybe he likes a starting five of Jermaine Kuznard, Jackson Shellstad, Akinto, and... <laughs> Gosh, who would you put at the four? Maybe KJ Evans, or maybe he puts Cambridge at the four and he puts Dante at the five. I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways it could go, but this is going to be a deep, talented Oregon basketball team, and Shell Sad's certainly going to be a part of it. All right, uniform question here from Joshua to wrap up the day. Again, YouTube comments or Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Question related to last video Will the Ducks wear the all black green numbered unis? And I want them to bring back Ohana jersey and take my money and sell for consumers. Love the podcast makes my commute. Appreciate you. Glad I can uh, spruce up your commute a little bit. So I don't have any inside information on whether or not the Ducks will wear all black green numbers unis. Kind of like the Ohana jerseys. I, I think from a uniform standpoint, Oregon still is at the cutting edge of college football. I think our brand is very established in that sense that people, if you hear just the term, like if you go to a generic college football fan and think who's got the flashiest uniforms, most people are going to say Oregon, right? Cause they were the first ones. They, they, they were the first ones to do it. And I love it. I love the Ohana jerseys. I would bring those back, but I have a legitimate request. Anyone who happens to be perhaps in the Oregon athletics department or in the uh, uniform department, anybody around there who could influence this sort of decision, please, we are all begging you, wear one retro jersey per season at Autzen Stadium. I don't care which game it is, but there should be a retro jersey every year. I love the Ohana jerseys, by the way. I think if you're talking about jerseys as a recruiting pitch, that's about as good as it gets because you are going direct to that Samoan culture and that is a huge, huge part of football recruiting, as as we all know. Like there have been so many great players from from that sort of background. But I I just feel that the throwback unis they just got to come back. You you just you got to do it once a year. They look so darn good, and I'm I'm a big big fan. What uniforms do you all want to see come back? Drop them in the YouTube comments below or shoot me a note. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.